either we are there or not, ITSP Magazine still gets the best stories. There are plenty of conferences and all sorts of events that spark our curiosity and allow us to start conversations with some of the world's brightest minds. In person or virtually, we sit down with them at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Together, we discover what the synergy of these three elements means for the future of humanity. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. everybody, this is another episode of our coverage of CES 2024. I believe this marks the last one of the many that we had. And uh, I have to say we had some fantastic conversation today. Sean, co-founder and the cybersecurity podcast Redefining Cybersecurity on ITSP Magazine is joining me. It's a great conversation. We've been looking forward to this because we have... Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, I hope I didn't butcher the, <laughs> the name, which is the Undersecretary Department of Homeland Security, and uh, he is responsible for many things among science, technology, uh, first response. But the most important thing for us right now is that he had a panel at CES 2024, so we're doing this, let's say, recap that is not only about the panel, but the overview and what is so there in this place, which I like to say is where you foresee and see the future. So uh, it's not just gadget, it's society, it's everything that regards our country and the world in general. So, Sean, you ready for this conversation? I am. I, I, I feel like we're about to go on a Perhaps a psychedelic Beatles song, <laughs> uh, Revolution number nine. I don't know. Maybe we won't get to number nine, but uh, I think we'll aim for five. How's that? Yeah, and I'm we'll curious about that one. I, I'm up to four. I have the fourth <laughs> album and uh, the fifth. Uh, we'll see what it is about. I think it's about AI or something like that. But you know what? <laughs> Enough of me and, and Sean Blobbin. Dr. Dimitri, welcome to the show. We're so Thank glad you. to have you. No, great to be part of the conversation. Well, this is great. So a little introduction about yourself and, uh, and then uh, what, what is your role? And then we'll dive in into uh, your experience at CES. So I, I'm a, a theoretical physicist that found his way into government, and I've been in government in different roles, and most recently now in uh, a Department of Homeland Security, which... I, I understood from the outside, but it is uh, such a remarkable mission. It's just hard to comprehend, you know, the vastness of, of the roles and, and what people rely on for uh, the department to do is, is staggering. Uh, and, and kind of when you map that onto the exploding world of technology and innovation, you know, what it means on the positive side and, and on the negative side, it is just a, a world in churn. And, and just a, a remarkable moment in time to be in such a place, which is a largely an operational law enforcement place where you're trying to do science and where you're trying to push technology. So it's it, it just a fascinating interface and clashes of cultures, needs, timelines and demands. And uh, laws and policies and all kinds of other fun stuff. <laughs> Any, anything you make, can think of just to make it even more interesting uh, <laughs> through uh, DHS. 
you know, exactly. it, it, the, the stuff under the hood here includes, um, you know, Secret Service and, and Coast Guard and FEMA and, and TSA and ICE and Customs and Border Protection and, and countering weapons of mass destruction uh, and, and others that I have uh, missed uh, in our, our acronym soup. But many of these operational components that span the globe uh, we interact with more people than any other agency every single day, millions of people. Uh, and, and so we're there doing things. And it's just uh, uh, a remarkable place uh, operationally. Yeah. You know, I was reading a couple of the articles that were published, uh, I think, by you. Mm -hmm. And and I was thinking I would love to talk about all of this, but I don't think we have 24 hours to have this conversation. So we'll have to focus on something. But what it really stood up for me, it's kind of like what you said, the level of complexity and also the fact that it's a constant change. And and I think that that's probably the the beautiful thing, but also the biggest challenge to stay on top of all of this. Yeah, I would agree. You know, what's on my mind and, and what I came in uh, thinking uh, was uh, uh, how to be more prepared. What does preparedness mean in the world today? And and I kind of view the world in, in a simple way, uh, rightly or wrongly. You know, I, I won't, uh, uh, you know, tell you I'm right, but I will simply kind of define how I view the world. And that's what defines uh, where I, I spend time, you know. I, I, I look at it in this way. If you believe that uh, the world of tomorrow is is an extension of where we were yesterday, you know, that the world is somehow linear, um, then the model we have for dealing with borders, for immigration, for with uh, drug interdictions, child exploitation, you know, pick your problem that we have. Um, when we have multiple hurricanes and fires and floods, you know, the typical approach we have is to throw people at it. You know, we surge, we need manpower in immediate ways because there is a strong demand signal to help our citizens. And so we push people to the problem. And that's really the only instrument we have. And if you think that, again, the world is, is linear, then, you know, we can accommodate the variations that might come with you know, a fire in Maui, a flood in, in Southern California, followed by a hurricane in Florida in a narrow amount of time by just pushing people. And then we relax back to a status quo, which we're comfortable with. Our risk models are reasonable. Um, in, in this model, you know, we surge at airports during the holidays, but cargo and traffic kind of uh, abate afterwards. And, and so we don't have to think differently than expecting um, vendors to improve their products few percent a year, better throughput, you know, that'll kind of meet the need of, of the, the changes we see. But if you think the world is nonlinear, that tomorrow is perhaps not captured by what we experienced yesterday, then, then I would say we have to step back and reflect and say, how, how can we be more prepared for things that could happen that we can't anticipate because it's not a linear world? And, and I kind of bookend my thinking by uh, a couple of things, which is what I captured or tried to capture in, in some of those documents you referred to. Um, you know, on one end, uh, we're pretty used to uh, in, in the last few years of, of reading about rare events in weather, 
you know, that, that that's never happened before, or that's a 500 year event or a once in a lifetime event. The cadence of rare things has become very frequent that we're kind of getting used to the fact that rare things, previously rare things are, are today's new normal. And we have kind of an acceptance of some of this change. So you know, on one hand, you have these variations happening in extreme weather uh, that I think about because we have duties certainly to uh, first responders around the country, but we also work with FEMA and other places and we think about critical infrastructure. Uh, the other side, um, you know, on the slower side, you just have to go up to Alaska that's heating up four times um, uh, faster than down here. And, and you see things already that are impacting uh, lifestyle the quality of life, how people uh, deal with change. Uh, as, as the ice has receded, it used to be all the way up to the northern slope, but now you go out there and you look at, you know, from Point Barrow, you don't see any ice in the horizon. As the seaways open up and the routes from Asia to Europe are, are uh, you know, opened, then commerce is going to start passing through the north and that will change um, you know, some of our responsibilities uh, in Coast Guard, in, in uh, search and rescue, in domain awareness, uh, and our footprint and our needs will be dramatically different. And so, you know, in the long term, the bookend of a nonlinear world is on one side, the changing environment around us. On the other side, it's just the remarkable pace of emerging technologies that is unprecedented for which we have no context in our lives, but it's, in, it's embedding the world around us and we're consuming it in remarkable ways and it's everywhere. It's not just AI, it's autonomous systems, not just cars and drones, but you know, it's CES, it's excavators and mining equipment and anything you can think about is, is uh, automated. Uh, it's, it's nanomaterials, it's additive manufacturing, it's quantum technologies, it's uh, bioengineering and gene editing. It is dozens of these things exploding as engineering platforms that, you know, like Lego blocks, you can start, you know, building these things together because they're engineering platforms. And so you can grab a bit of, of, of machine learning and some big data, and you can get some gene editing and some nanomaterial manufacturing, and you can blend all of this stuff together and make a new thing that never existed before. And there is a, an aspect of, of innovation and creativity that is going to surprise us. And because we're at a point where, you know, really remarkable invention is possible. And, and we're only rate limited by ourselves. And as I put on my Homeland Security hat on, I think, well, <laughs> what does this mean for us? One, are there any force multipliers we should be dealing with to address a changing world to be more responsive and prepared for change? And second, what is the downside of this that we're going to have to be prepared for because we'll be surprised by things we've never seen before and probably cannot anticipate today. And so anyway, that's kind of the swirl in my head that uh, you know I think about in, in this role here. And so uh, again, it's, it's just a remarkable environment. Well, it's a fantastically uh, beautiful swirl that I see there. <laughs> I, I can picture everything that you've, you've described and, and the interactions. And then you say the word surprise. <laughs> and um, I, 
I think that there's a couple of points in there. So if we look at your panel first uh, that you had at CES, it's called AI is the Fifth Industrial Revolution. And the, uh, the short description for that is learn how AI is transforming how orgs operate, scale, improve efficiencies to grow the economy and the nation, get the nation moving forward. And in there, there's a few words. There's scale, uh, improve efficiency, which are, in my opinion, kind of old school industrial mm -hmm. revolution, right? How, how can we make humans better and, yeah. and get and make things happen that either remove the human where it slows it down or make the humans uh, more more capable? And I can see that in, in terms of AI. But but then you say this word surprise where I, I think we have and across all of CES. I think we see a lot of technologies that will allow us to do things that weren't possible not just not possible for humans, but weren't possible. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I, I know, any, any thoughts on that from the things you saw, the conversations you had uh, during the Well, you know, I, I only spent a couple of days there. I only had one day and, and part of a day to walk the floor, um, which uh, I, I think was uh, several miles of walking. I know a person I was with was tracking his steps. And so, uh, yeah, he had in a, you know, 15,000 or 20,000 steps just for a small bit of time. Um, you know, there were almost 5,000 companies there. And, and I was asked a, a, a number of times, what is it that uh, struck you the most? Uh, you know, what did you see that was interesting? And, you know, as, as I reflected on it, it wasn't any given thing. It was, it was the whole essence of what is there is that everyone every technology, every domain, um, every sector of the economy was reflected there uh, and everything is being reimagined, you know, from the ground up. I think you have the sense of people are starting to be unleashed in terms of how they view very traditional things from shoes and toilets, uh, which are now smart hubs for your, your bathroom to um, you know, whatever you point at uh, was someone reimagining uh, something which was seemingly mundane. Perhaps you thought was a dead end thing as just, that's just glasses. Those are just toothbrushes or shoes. It, it's not anymore. You know, the, the fields are changing. They're all becoming data companies. They're all instrumented with sensors. They're all thinking, they're all interconnected with other things, doing things machine to machine that you're not aware of but enable the functionality you want. You know, it, it's fun to see the electrical car that has, uh, you know, retractable quadcopter blades so it can take off and land and then drive around and, uh, and it looks like a regular car when it's retracted. Um, you know, those things are, are interesting. The, uh, I like the uh, autonomous uh, excavating equipment. And, and, and the stuff that, uh, you know, uh, farming uh, is, is moving towards, you know, even John Deere is not a, it's not a tractor company anymore. It is a, a data company. You know, they, they map the farms, they map the soil, they map down a number of inches in terms of soil quality. They uh, keep the record of where, uh, you know, uh, things grow well on your land versus where it doesn't grow well. So they automatically plant more seeds where it, you'll get more yield and less seeds in other places. Precision, precision spraying just on the weeds, saving, you know, they had like 60 or 80% in terms of pesticide use. 
uh, higher yields. And, and so it is not just someone building tractors anymore. It is a data company that is tied to other streams of data. Um, it's, it's automated. Everything is kind of uh, reinvented in this technology world and gives you pause. You know, it, it, it certainly in government where we are slower to change or turn on a dime, you know, it's worth reflection on, on what reimagining yourself could mean in the domains here that matter to the country. You know, are there things that we should also be trying to rethink uh, holistically? Um, and so that's what I got from there. It's like, wow, you know, this is different than last year, far more uh, imaginative and I think far more widespread in terms of everything you saw there. So every little thing was kind of neat, but it was the sense that everything is exploding right now. And where it's going to go in the next couple of years, I, I have no idea. But uh, from prosthetics to to pick your thing, it was there. And I'm sure you saw the same thing. It was fascinating. Yeah, I I love how you present it because it makes you think about the the thing that you know that you thought it was done. Now it's it can be something else. It's almost yep. opening another dimension of what that product can do. And from the conversation that we had. One of my thoughts from a philosophical perspective maybe was the fact that we are a little bit more focused on finally maybe not just being attracted to what is new, but what can serve us as society and as humans. So improving our humanity. Now I'm being yeah. very idealistic now, <laughs> but yeah. I'm hoping it's not just driven by the market, but it's driven by other mean and and the way you present it is like yeah we can kind of in a hacker mentality look at something and it could be something else that is positive and we talked to the director of thematic choices for ces brian kominsky and i picked his brain on how it pick certain theme and uh -huh. and he said you know there is a lot of research going on a lot of things uh, feedback from the year before, from where the industry is going. So I'm going to turn that question to you. How did you mm -hmm. decide it amongst all the things that you could talk about focusing on this fifth industrial revolution, which I'm guessing is the AI and, and what, why you wanted to focus on that? Among the things that are uh, happening, um, this is uh, the, the AI part is more of the glue that brings together all of the other emerging technologies. So more so than than others, I think it, it plays a, a special role in helping interface between different things. Um, and, and so it's and and I think it's also moving faster than than most of the other technologies. Um, but that said, the others are also progressing remarkably uh, fast. So uh, I, I like AI because, you know, at the beginning of last year, uh, la at last CES, large language models were not, uh, you know, some of us were following it and, and were aware, but it didn't have the, 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 the popular cu culture capture uh, that it has today. It exploded, uh, you know, in the spring of last year with kind of the release, the public release of ChatGPT as everyone started to, to play with it. And then large language models and, and, and subsequently generative AI became the thing. 
But I would say at the end of, of last year, even in December, uh, it, it started to evolve away again more visibly with uh, large representational models that, you know, it's not just language. Uh, things are even smarter when you ingest images and video and other things into it. You find that it learns better and does respond better to and can create it in more interesting ways. And already it's kind of evolved in six to eight months. And and so uh, we saw some of that picked up at CES, but I think uh, by the time we get to the next one in a little less than a year, I suspect there'll be a couple of more things, you know, there that also are, you know, drawing excitement and energy, uh, but we don't know exactly what those are yet. It, it's happening at such a pace that, uh, you know, it's the next surprise is around the corner. And, and what it means, uh, you know, has something, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure that out. So that's why, you know, going back to your question, it's probably a long-winded answer, which is perhaps somehow typical. Um, uh, you know, it's the, the AI side of it uh, is, is remarkable in that the corporate appetite for hiring PhDs uh, to do this work is uh, insatiable at the moment. And they are thousands of these folks working tirelessly around the clock, around the world, trying to get that edge for their business model. And, and this feverish pace is, is, is just, uh, uh, you know, it's crazy and it's global. Um, and, and that's why there is, uh, you know, it's worth paying attention to that to see where that is going because that's going to pull along a lot of these other things as we see the you know development of autonomous systems you know where drones are going and and, and other mobility and you know pick your area um, these are going to be enabled by uh, you know what's happening here in this space so that's why the AI side I found uh, most interesting and uh, if I may the the point you made about AI touching everything and then you just spoke to the 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 level of expertise certainly at the, the large language model and the API mm -hmm. and the development model not so much maybe at the at the UI presented through chat GPT but when you start to get under the hood and and building apps and systems and services and mm -hmm. connections between multiple things this is some pretty pretty intense stuff so I'm wondering how you and your team teams <laughs> uh, obviously being being part of CES is an important important aspect of this but how how do you kind of keep things top of mind and relevant and how do you make the decisions on where to invest the time bringing scientists in bringing researchers in bringing developers in to your team to kind of get a sense of what the risks are with the technology, the things it touches, the impact it can have on security and and uh, national security and, and society as a as a whole. Yeah, there are different sides of that, and that that's a great question. Uh, you know, on on one side, we have a responsibility responsibility to uh, all of our operations uh, here at DHS for for S and T to uh, help with uh, today's needs. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of places there where injection of technologies and, and where we invest our money is strongly aligned with the demand signal we get from all of the operational sides of, of DHS. 
Um, you know, and, and so that is more of um, uh, the role of AI in, in the way you framed it uh, earlier in kind of amplifying uh, how we do business today, making things more efficient, making things faster, um, same kind of thinking, just uh, further enabled and perhaps uh, force multiplied in some way uh, by relieving the burden on people in doing what they're already uh, doing uh, through more conventional means. The second role that uh, we have uh, that, uh, you know, I think about a lot is what is beyond the horizon? What is coming? Um, what is it that may be uh, inconsistent with the way we approach problems today? Um, what, what are the things uh, where our solutions that we uh, employ today are not scalable to a future that could be dissimilar from today. And, and that's a different problem. That we have a little more latitude to be creative uh, and try and understand what can you make from all of the different innovation pathways, the pockets of, of uh, you know, smart people doing things just about everywhere. What can you piece together to do that uh, could change the way you understand risk, to, to change the way we operate in a way that would get, make us more versatile to uh, things we might have to worry about in the future? And, and so those two, um, one is longer term, the other is we need to meet the needs today and tomorrow. And uh, those two don't always intersect immediately. Uh, but uh, at some point, if we're thinking straight about the future, then then they should. And I'm going to get in on a little bit more uh, philosophical on this, because I it, there is a reason why one of my show is called Redefining Society and mm -hmm. Sean's show is called Redefining Cybersecurity. We went with the word redefining because you need to shift the paradigm. You need to shift the culture. Agreed. And this is I'm following pretty much what you're saying. And um, I can see a little bit of resistance, all usually towards what is new and scary and unknown. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're kind of seeing for AI right now. So the role of education and the role of government, different part of the government and the role of us as media that we can have into presenting these and facilitate maybe this cultural shift where people maybe realize that when big changes come, digital revolution, industrial revolution, it's not that the job disappear, the job kind of reshuffle, there is new opportunities. So how can we as a society have some kind of a new social contract and, and understand that there's not a final point where we can stop and say, hey, we have arrived. We are in motion, and I would love your your opinion on this. I don't know. You know, I, and, and, <laughs> okay, and that's I, done. No because more. <laughs> it's a, you know, I I don't know because I, I I say it in the following sense. I I don't understand the world of my grandkids. You know, I don't have a context for their worldview. Um, they're growing up in a world right now where you know all this technology started at day one um, the ability to edit your personal history by uh, erasing people in, in images you don't like putting yourself somewhere else to to do revisionist history 
of your own life's trajectory is, is baked in to how we sell products to the kids today. And, and so their world is not rooted in, in trusted sources or authorities of facts. It is rooted somewhere else. And the context for that world in, in what social contract means is worth some reflection because uh, for, for the older people here, like myself, you know, who understood, uh, who had a sense of, you know, as a scientist, I always go back to journals and originally, you know, peer reviewed literature as this is a place where I can reference fact, uh, uh, at least at this moment in time. There isn't such a place anymore for a lot of stuff. Um, and, and, and stuff is freely created. It's done generatively, more so in the future, but it is accepted that that's okay in the world that the kids live in. So I, I see the contrast of a world where I, I, I remembered reputable journalists and sources and listened to these guys because they've done their research and they have a track record to now, you know, people listen to whatever they want if it reinforces things that they like to hear. Um, and, and if you don't live with that contrast, uh, you don't appreciate that something has changed when that's all you've ever seen. You know, I, I don't understand exactly what that's going to mean for the world to come and, and how you, uh, you know, as we age out and disappear, you know, what that new world is going to be like and, and what the context of your question is really going to mean at that time. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating question. It's just hard to imagine uh, what we have to prepare for, which goes back to this idea of the world is changing in a way that, you know, we have to be prepared. We have to be able to pivot. We can't be locked into ways of doing things. We have to be more re reflexive to whatever might be happening around us, especially these days. And, you know, it's reflected in so many ways, including, uh, you know, in the, what you were talking about. So, yeah. Uh, and I ask you this question because it, your answer is my answer. <laughs> I don't know. But I think we need to stay open, which is the core of your message. Stay open to change, stay open to redefining even privacy, even other things in our in our society. Yeah, and, and, you know, yeah. being ready for a future that's different today is that you're usually wrong. <laughs> and you have to accept the fact that, OK, I placed my bets here, but I'm wrong because now it's this. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be built in that this is not a failure mode. This is just the nature of of how the world is going to change. You just have to be able to change your direction because the direction you're on is no longer the right one. And, you know, sometimes people are worried that, well, you know, this is what you said you were going to do and you're not doing it. So you're wrong. You know, we have to kind of break that model so we can uh, be a little more dynamic in our response to a, a you know, rapidly changing world. And I, I want to, as we begin to wrap here, um, kind of bring it to the future of what you're working mm -hmm. on in, in, with your group. Um, I know in, in the cybersecurity world, the like Black Hat and DEF CON, mm -hmm. there's a whole spot, the Fed, where the government isn't necessarily openly welcome in, in the early times of those conferences, but mm -hmm. much more now, uh, where we've seen a lot of work through, through CISA, early days of CISA, um, bringing mm -hmm government entities in with the, the hacking community. There's probably not that, that stigma in general tech, but mm -hmm. 
but maybe not a, a first thought, let's have government involved here. Um, so how, how do you see your department joining forces with the tech and the researchers and, and academia, let's say as well, uh, to help define a future. So how, how do you, how do you see that working and what, what changes are might be coming with your department to, uh, to make some of that happen? Yeah, we have to be, uh, far more flexible with how we work with, uh, private sector, how we engage universities, uh, because, um, you know, the, the knowledge space out there is, is vast and it's, it's hard to comprehend all the things you don't know. Uh, and there are a lot of them. And the only way you can try and figure out and find your way is to spend a lot of time talking with people. Um, DHS uh, is, is a boutique operation in terms of, of technology needs. You know, we have special things that we need for airports and, and ports of entry and screening cargo um, and, you know, communications on Coast Guard cutters. And, you know, the, the product line that we need isn't measured in the millions or billions of units of any given technology. And, and so we have to partner with, with companies uh, in, in more creative ways because um, our needs alone won't sustain the, the ecosystems. Um, and so, you know, that's something on my mind. How do we partner? How do we find companies that aren't just sitting on their hands waiting for the right uh, RFP to come out uh, for us to say, please, can you solve this problem? Um, because I think we'll miss the mark in that the kinds of things we worry about are not just neatly aligned with uh, uh, product offerings that will be uh, resonant with where commercial markets are pulling things these days. And, and so we have to find ways to have deeper conversations with companies who are willing to work with us to try and understand, you know, what is your five-year roadmap? Can we, uh, you know, perhaps do NRE with you? And can we bring some IP from this kind of company or these technologies in? And can we try and, and blend and, and create something here that otherwise won't get created? And so I think finding like-minded companies uh, who who want to work with us, and we have a you know small track record of of starting to do things like that, is going to be an important part of it. It's I, I'm not aware of any single company that offers you know the solutions we need for everything, or or the job would be easy and we wouldn't have any crises anywhere, and life would be swell. And and so it's it's incumbent on us to lead conversations. And that's why going to places like CES that has just thousands and thousands of companies is, is important. Have we had a, a big team out there from DHS, from S&T, uh, you know, walking, we had our tech scouting people out there uh, talking with everybody. We, we, we lean into these things to try and find new pathways to innovate uh, in a time when it's a, a especially vital. So, yeah, it's on us to rethink how we do this. Um, and, you know, being more responsive and prepared includes how we partner and how we understand uh, where technologies are going and how we find our bearings and validate that we're on the right path or, or not pointed in the right way. Wonderful. I, I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. I want to be considerate of your time and you, the, all the time that you took. 
Uh, really inspiring. One of our mantra is we hope we make people think. We don't have necessarily answers for everything. Thinking's but, good. Yeah, thinking is good. You. So I want to invite everybody to think, uh, post some comments if you have, and uh, and share this conversation if you enjoyed it. And again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kuznetsov, for stopping by. I hope Thanks, we get Marco. to talk again. Thanks, Sean. Thank you very much. Stay tuned, uh, everybody. Thank you. Subscribe thank you. and uh, for our next event. Thank you, everybody. All right. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our On Location Conversation. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.